Hey everybody, Joe Patrick here. Uh, what you're about to listen to is the best conversation I've ever had and probably one of the best ones you will have ever listened to just based on the fact that we got to talk to a guy who's been in the middle of it all and with regards to Atlanta United's history and that's Jeff Lorenowitz. So uh, we released this one to our patrons who have been supporting us uh, like unbelievably since we started this thing uh, a couple months ago. Uh, and I'd encourage anybody, if you if you listen to this and you like it, Please join us on our Patreon account. We have more of these kinds of episodes every single week. I can't guarantee you they're all going to be as good or near as good as this one you're about to hear. But one of the reasons we wanted to release this one is just because it is so important uh, what Jeff says. And just I think it's important for the entire Atlanta United community to kind of hear his message and hear his story the way he perceived and experienced things throughout his Atlanta United career. So we're releasing this one to the public and we're also putting it on the Dirty South Soccer podcast network feed, which is probably where you're listening to this right now. So um, if you're not a patron with us, by the way, I still thank you for listening and just being a supporter uh, of Five Stripe Final overall. And one last thing before we get into it, I did just want to give Lucid FC a shout out. They're our presenting partner for this show, and they've done a just they've been unbelievable in the way that they've supported Five Stripe Final as well through most of our history. Uh, so please do go check them out at lucidfc.us. With that out of the way, let's get into this amazing interview with Jeff Lorenowitz. Five Shot Final, J. Sam Jones from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer. Joe Patrick, 92.9 The Game. Dirty South Soccer is over there. Joe, Jeff Lorenowitz is with us. Jeff, are you absolutely sure you don't have like one more year, maybe like as a winger? I'm, I mean, I'm absolutely sure I've got one more year. But yeah, no, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to sit and um, salivate on my couch from now on. <laughs> I, I, I thought it. I thought last week we had the greatest guest that Five Strike Final was ever going to get with Darren Eels, but a one week later, just treated treated yeah. to uh, it's retired a Jeff Lorenowitz. Unfortunately, how, what is how is retirement going for you? First of all, are you still in Atlanta? Yeah, I'm still in Atlanta. Um, retirement's fine, you know. I'm doing a lot of gardening. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> but really, I am. Um, no, retirement's been okay. Um, you know, I can't say it's been easy. Um, you know, I, I always knew that whoever it was, whenever it was, they were going to have to drag me off the field. Um, they were going to have to say, Jeff, you suck. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> because I would always probably show up again and be like, huh, me? No. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's been it's been good, but it's been tough at the same time. Yeah, we've talked in the past kind of about just how much work you put into things. I think when I was doing that story on on Noonan, um, we talked just how you were so intent on working hard and playing hard and everything like that all the time, always. And other players I've talked to who've retired, um, they, they've called it almost a post-soccer partum depression is what it, they've kind of referred to it as. Um, what's that been like for you? How are you kind of handling not having the daily grind and that daily kind of routine uh, of being a professional soccer player? Yeah, I mean... I'm a guy that likes being told what to do. So when I've got to do it on my own, it's a little harder. Like I, people, a lot of people say, so you st- you're still working out, right? And it's like, no, I'm not. 
you know, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I ran, I ran out of fear for a long time and now I'm just not. So um, I spoke to a former player the other day. I've done a lot of catching up with guys over the last few months and um, you know, he said postpartum, but he, he referred to it as PTSD. You know, he's like, I got a lot of PTSD <laughs> stuff I'm still dealing with, you know, and not to make light of PTSD at all, but I'm sure, you know, it is a post-traumatic kind of syndrome that everyone sure. goes through. And I, you know, not to, you know, this is lighthearted, but I think that, you know, mental health of athletes is something that people should all kind of take notice of because mm -hmm. it is a serious issue. Um, you know, you're on a narcotic for a long time, a mm -hmm. really long time. And it's, it feeds your ego. It feeds your body. It feeds you to the molecular level and then it stops. And, um, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, no, no currently performing athlete will ever admit it, but there's an effect. No question. Do you want to stay in the game or have you even thought about kind of what, um, what you want to, what you want to do next? Um, I think, was it Bobby Boswell, Sam, that said that, uh, Atlanta offered him some sort of coaching role or some sort of so, setup yeah. in the club. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, do you, uh, anything along those lines for you? Yeah. I mean, I remember when Bobby went through that, I, I think it was a very kind of multifaceted role that Bobby was kind of facing. Um, ultimately, he decided to do something else. You know, I I love the game. I'm always going to. It's always going to be a part of me. Um, like I said, I've been speaking to other guys. They, they all say it gets easier, but it never leaves you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm sure I'll always have it in me. I think um, what I've found... And talking to a lot of people is, you know, I've, I've built up a lot of skills and a very unique kind of framework career. And, um, you know, if I'm honest with myself, there are a lot of things I lack and maybe I need to go out and find those things, develop those things and um, ultimately kind of become more rounded <laughs> as mm -hmm. a person, sure. as, as a uh, hireable employee. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, <laughs> you know, potentially, uh, re-enter soccer, but I, you know, I haven't made any decisions yet. Um, still, still working on it. Is there any skills kind of in particular that you're kind of keen on, on getting to, I mean, you kind of have all this freedom now. Is there anything in particular, like I'm going to, I don't know, pick up a guitar or something like that. What you got? Oh yeah. I mean, hobbies like that. No, I was talking more like, you know, can you set up a <laughs> PowerPoint deck? Um, no, uh, you know, I wish I wish MLS salaries were MLB salaries, you know, because then I would be <laughs> like buying a, a Stratocaster and living out my dream in the garage. But um, no, nothing like that. I think, you know, the, the truth of the matter is for a large um, portion of, of MLS players, retirement is really a misnomer. You know, mm -hmm. it's it, it's. Uh, it's career transition. Congratulations on your career transition, Jeff. Congratulations on your <laughs> yeah. career transition, Bobby. Um, so, you know, retirement in a sense, for sure. Um, but it, it's kind of moving on to something else. You, you probably don't know this, but I cover baseball as well for 92.9 The Game here. I cover the Braves. And um, it's amazing to me when I first started to see, like, I guess I always knew this because I would see it in the news, but like you see a contract for like a middling relief pitcher that's like $4 million for a year. And that's like pretty much just kind of 
throw around money for those teams. And it was just amazing to me because I'm also at the training ground watching you guys work. And it's like the amount of work that a soccer player has to put in to his body just every day to make sure that you're able to go out there and perform and do your job. Well, it's like, you know, I'm not trying to crap on baseball players or anything, but it's like they're just kind of doing whatever some of them are kind of chubby some of them are are leaner you know but it's just like they have like this talent and it's just amazing to me it's not like like i feel like the the there's a difference between the salaries that are paid and the work that actually goes into it so it's a huge testament (laughs) i mean no it is a huge testament to you especially like in your career you logged like an insane amount of minutes i forget where you rank on all-time minutes list maybe second or something among outfielders um and just doing it for you know, in so little in those, especially in those early days of MLS, you know, it's just so hats off to you. I appreciate it. I mean, I think you're right. You get to the professional level. um, The cream has risen in a sense. Right. And, you know, in, in, in one sense, it's like, yeah, you know, Jeff signed that deal as a rookie. Um, Maybe he was one of the only stupid ones that wanted to accept it. (laughs) Um, That's kind of on one hand. On the other hand, it's like, yeah, but I'm here. You know, if you wanted to do it, wouldn't you be here too? But you're not. And so I, I totally agree with you. Um, unfortunately, on the back end, there has to be some sort of economics behind what you're getting paid. And, and that's just the truth of the league at that moment. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that there's certainly times, a lot of times throughout my career where it's just like, man, I'm, I'm doing exactly the same job as you and you know i think i'm doing it better than you Um, (laughs) and i think my track record kind of shows that Mm -hmm. but unfortunately you are what you sign you know lesson lesson out there to the kids Mm. you know you are what you accept on your deal and you know that travels with you too um so you want to hold out go for it man you deserve it you're there for a reason just out of curiosity, when, when you left Brown and went to New England, what were you making back in 2005? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I still remember the checks. Um, it was like 421 every two weeks. So, and it was a May, May 1st to December 31st contract as well. Oh so my it was gosh. 10 months. <laughs> were you doing um, other work? Like, did you, were you supplementing that at all? Or just like um, peanut butter and jellies every day? I was coaching. Yeah, I was coaching <laughs> and peanut butter. I would pack the peanut butter and jelly Both, yeah. for, on the way to coaching. Um, no, I mean, honestly, yeah, it was it was grim in that sense. I remember coaching kids, doing individuals. Um, I'm I'm way too nice and I don't love the idea of kind of milking soccer for money out of young kids. So I would undercharge for sure. Um, mm-hmm. and I would coach individual kids. They were kids on the team that I coached. So I would mm-hmm. kind of do an extra session a night or a week. Um, and I would charge them each 20 bucks. And I remember, you know, leaving the field, going to the ATM and like sliding the bills <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> into the machine, <laughs> you know, like I had just yeah. kind of, um, got some sunken treasure and I needed to, to watch over it. But yeah, I mean, that's the way it was, but you know, it was an opportunity, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, discount that at all. 
So, you know, obviously you already had pretty much like a full storied career before you even came to Atlanta United. Um, when you came to the club, what were like, did you have expectations of, of what you were going to find? Um, I guess Tata would have already been in place at that point. I'm just kind of curious what your mindset was around that time. My mindset, um, I mean, the whole, I can give you the whole story. I was playing for the Galaxy. Um, I remember my agent at the time calling in, I think it was August. I remember exactly where I was. We were in Salt Lake for a game, and he was like, what do you think about Atlanta? And, you know, sorry, guys. I mean, I grew up a Phillies fan. And I was like, <laughs> Atlanta, I don't know, man. I mean, come on. Um, and so initially I said, no, nah, I don't know. Let me think about it. I'd love to stay with the Galaxy. Um, but it ended up coming back and he was like, what do you think about it? Atlanta? And I said, yes, let's do it. Um, and he said, okay, great. Cause they don't want you anymore. And I was like, oh, <laughs> darn. Um, but then that came back around as huh. it does. Mm-hmm. Um, we could do a whole show on free agency, but yeah. So when I came, it was like, when I decided this is it, it was like, uh, the owner without a doubt, Mr. Blank. You know, that's a, that's a huge, huge thing to have, um, not in your corner. I mean, he is the corner. Um, mm. and that's, that's great. And then I knew that they'd sold a bunch of tickets and, you know, whether everyone was going to show up or not, I don't know whether it was going to last. I didn't know, but I knew Tata Martino from Barcelona and I knew Mr. Blank from you name it. And I said, let's give it a shot. I remember looking at my wife and her being like, we've done everything else in the league. Why don't you go play for an expansion club and see, how, see what happens? And so, so we did. How was your role kind of described to you at that point where they say like, you're going to come in and, and be one of the guys or we may work you in and see what happens. I think it was, it wasn't as explicit as that. I think it was like, we're building this team. We know that you've been around and we know that as an organization, we're going to need guys that know what's going on. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a great year in LA. I missed a lot of time recovering from a surgery. Um, my time in Chicago was, you know, my last year in Chicago was really bad for, for me, for the team, um, more so for the team. <laughs> um, but so, you know, I, I, I think that coming in, it was just, I knew that I had to kind of go back to the beginning and reestablish myself a bit. We talked to Parky a few weeks ago and we talked, you know, about a lot of the same things that we're talking about now. And uh, he said that one of the interesting aspects of coming to Atlanta was, especially for him, a guy who'd been around the league a while, just like you, um, was that it was actually you guys who had to do a lot of the adapting to like the culture of the club. And because, you know, Tata Martino is the coach and you've got all these um, kind of fancy international players, you know, big name signings, big personalities, obviously with some of them. Uh, Can you kind of talk about your experience with that and whether you would kind of agree with that assessment? Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think, um, you know, we didn't have a training center. No one had a house yet. Um, we were living out of the Windy Hill Marriott. Hmm. Um, we, we were going up the Flowery Branch. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, 
I'm sure that if you asked Yamil Assad or Carlos Carmona, like, you know, you guys had to figure it out. And these MLS guys had it all figured out. He'd be like, yeah, totally. But um, there was a comfort level on the field for that contingent, without a doubt. You know, understanding the, I mean, the tactics of Tata, the language, obviously, um, the training regimens and kind of training expectations, um, even just down to living in a hotel because you have a game coming up and you can't allow the outside world to distract you because, you know, their mindset is coming from South America. You know, maybe you don't walk on the street on a Friday because, you know, who knows who's going to be out there. So there was a lot of adaptation, but like I said, those, the guys on the other side of it went through it too and went through it in their own way. And maybe it wasn't, you know, as, talked about or um agreed upon by both sides but the amazing thing was and this absolutely played into our success we all started at ground zero you know it was it was all blank slate we're starting from here every experience that we have that's kind of um not rooted in anything because this is a new club you're feeling it i'm feeling it the exact same way Mm. and um Walking out on the Bobby Dodd and playing the first ever game for an organization. I've never done that before. Um, I'm getting goosebumps right now. But yeah, <laughs> it's like we all experienced that and everything the same way. And it built, um, you know, it built a brotherhood in a sense, you know, and, and even I'm sure Tata and his staff will tell you the same thing. Hmm. It almost uh, it almost feels like that's happening with this club right now. Just as an aside, like I feel like it, they're kind of in a very similar circumstance because it's like a lot of players who weren't around for these early years of the Tata Martino era, and they're kind of in a similar set mindset where it's Gabriel Heinze coming in after kind of a you know a year of the darkness, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. for Atlanta United. So I I just think that that's an interesting kind of parallel of what's going on now. I think it's it's. It's something that I agree. I think it's happening with the team right now. Um, But I also think that it's something in a league structure the way ours is and the cap as low as it is, you're going to have to be incredibly savvy or you're going to face a lot of turnover, especially on the heels of, of success. And you have a good year. Everyone's asking for money. Leandro's asking for money. I'm asking for money. Tito's asking for money. You name it. Everyone wants money. We just, we're, we're one of the best teams. Everyone's watching our games. You got a new line item on the resume after that, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it has to turn over eventually, you know, and that's the nature of sports, but I think it's also the nature of, of the league in a sense, you know, you can't, can't really have too much success and hold on to those guys over and over. There has to be a reset. And, um, yeah, I think that that it's happening now. And, and, you know, I have a little soccer app on my phone. I check. I was watching kind of the lineup last night. I was busy with kids and dinner and all that stuff last night. But, you know, I don't know all the players that well, but I'm like, click on that. It's like 19. Click on it. Oh, 18. Oh, 21. Oh, 22. Um, I was clicked on Barco just because I was going through it and I was expecting it to say like 28, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's still – 21 or 22 i couldn't believe it but yeah. um i'm twice their age so it's like you know <laughs> it, as much as you know i i want to be out there i i i guess it's, it's the way it goes it's nature 
Yeah, I wanted to ask, are you the kind of player who who watches games? Are you going to sit back and kind of take everything in now? Or are you just kind of putting that aside and maybe you'll check in every now and then? Um, I don't know. It's as much as, you know, I love the club and, and, you know, I care and I have the history with them. No matter what, when you leave a club, it's kind of like a breakup, you know? Like, are you <laughs> are you kind of... Be kind of trolling your ex on Facebook, you know, like, what, are we watching them? Um, I've left, I've left every club that I've played for, you know, um, Atlanta's no different because they basically, you know, said it was done. And you have that, that time where it's just like, man, I got to get over it. Um, but I'll follow the team. Of course. Like we're sitting here right now. Mikey just texted me that, you know, what do you say? The left back legend. He said, uh, <laughs> I can't say it on the air. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not like that. I mean, he's, 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 um, no, he's just asking me what I'm up to. So, you know, I look, I, sure. You can't go from just, just the same way, you know, you can't go from playing forever to th- not thinking about it. You can't go from being friends with these guys forever to not wondering how they're doing or, mm-hmm. you know, wishing for their success and, and, you know, or, you know, they text me and, oh, this happened at training. I did this and now I'm worried. Oh, what should I, you know, help them through that. And I think that that's, that's never going to leave me and I'll be watching the team for sure. Well, you mentioned kind of keeping up with the guys and Mikey texting you and uh, I'm sure other guys are checking in as well. What's been kind of the vibe from them about, uh, about Gabby and how this year is going so far? I'm, uh, I mean, it sounds like they're, they're, they're liking it. They're loving it. I mean, I think that for sure it, it's kind of, I mean, I guess Mikey was there, Miles, Brad, Alec, and not a lot of guys were there at the beginning with Tata, but um, it's kind of like relearning again. Um, and so I think that that's exciting for them, for sure. I'm, I'm sure there are days where they're just like, man, I'm spent, or this is too much, or whatever. Um, that's natural. Um, but I'm sure it's exciting. I'm sure they're learning kind of a new way to play. And, you know, that's, that's something that goes, you're talking about resume that goes on your resume. You know, you've got that in your arsenal, you've got that in your kind of memory bank and, and you're growing as a player. So um, I'm sure they're tired days, but I'm, I'm sure that they're excited with the growth. It seems like they're, they're um, encouraged for sure. I'm, I'm just curious, has Brad ever expressed any loneliness to you? Because when he, when, when it was like you and Parky and him, it was like kind of like a, you know, a, a core of guys who had a lot of similar experiences. And now he's surrounded by Jen's ears that back there in the back. <laughs> yeah. You know, Brad, Brad spent a lot of time with the equipment guys. So you got like Paul <laughs> Dillon and, and, and Chris, you got Jack, our tra- um, strength coach back there. They always play games. So, you know, Brad's got plenty of guys to lean on, but um, I think for sure he's probably looking around and going, uh, yeah, where are these guys? But <laughs> he's still a little younger than me, so he's he's got he's got plenty of time. Well, you kind of mentioned the the turnover that does happen, and there were a couple times where we weren't sure if you were going to be coming back, uh, and that was even before this year. Um, can you kind of talk us uh, through those negotiations? I think that was after 2018 when we didn't know if you were quite coming back. Um, yeah, what was the kind of resolution there? You know, I I signed. I signed new deals every year there. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Obviously signed the, I signed a one plus one. So, and that was in 17. So we finished 17. There was an expansion draft. It must've been LA. Um, 
maybe there was another team coming in in 18. Um, but, you know, you got to protect players. You got to um, go through all of those, jump through all those hoops. I think they did some um, calculations and were thinking, well, you know, you've done well. Maybe we sign you to a new deal. Maybe we don't pick up your option. That way we don't have to protect you. I, you know, maybe there was some thinking there. Um, but anyway, I signed a new deal for 18, signed a new deal for 19, and then um, signed a new deal for 20. Um, you know, it, you asked me when you came in, what were the expectations? I think the expectations were like, let's lean on Jeff for a year and let's get off the ground. And um, I think if you had any of those guys in from the front office here, they would probably tell you the same thing. But you know, just kind of kept playing. I remember at the end of 2017 when, you know, you go out to train after the season ends, we were trained for a little bit and, you know, Tata came up to me and was like, why aren't you training? And I was like, well, I'm not allowed to. I'm technically I'm out of contract. He said, whoa, well, whatever I got to do, you let me know. And so, um, you know, there was that kind of, I, I didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to play for Tata at the end of 19 or throughout 19 when I was beginning to play less. Um, I was also wondering as well as a 36 year old, like, okay, is this it? Um, is this it? Is this it? And then had a good conversation and, and they brought me back. So I, I couldn't say it was easy. You know, I'm sure that for, for an outside fan who doesn't watch it closely, you know, oh, Jeff's been on the team for four years. Of course he's been here. You know, he probably had a four-year deal and he's all set and his family's happy and there is no, there's been no emotional damage. You know, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, as a joke, but like really, you know, you kind of go through the ups and downs, the the swings of the offseason, the emotional kind of up and down. It's not as easy as folks think. Speaking of Tata, I thought you wrote had a beautiful line in your the retirement um, letter that you penned. You said he uh, you thanked him for gently stoking the flames of a die of the dying em- your dying embers in the league, which I thought was a beautiful way to phrase that. Were you surprised at how much you were leaned on on the field? Just you know, you became pretty much a regular fixture in the starting eleven. Were you surprised by that? I'm not surprised. They were surprised. <laughs> you know? Touche. Um, we, I came in. I played preseason. Like I said, I, I don't know the timing of things, and anyone that was behind the scenes will know, but told you they kind of came for me. Then they said no. And I think it might have happened when Tata came and said, I don't think so. Um, but I don't know. I, that's something I have in my head. I've never asked him about mm-hmm. it. I probably will down the line. But um, <laughs> so – when I came in, I was playing during preseason. The team didn't sign Carlos Carmona for, you know, several weeks in the preseason. So I was playing. We went to Charleston. I remember not having a great game um, and just feeling like, you know, I lost my spot. Um, we, I'll never forget. We were at Flowery Branch preparing for the Red Bull game. And, you know, we were setting up 11 v 11 to do – tactical work and you know Tata was handing out the pennies for to break up the two teams and you know I kind of stupidly wandered over expecting one of the starters pennies and he looked at me and just went like that he shook his head and kind of Mm. brushed me 
brush me mm. to the other side as in like, no, go <laughs> over there with that 11. Um, so, you know, I didn't play the, the, I didn't start the New York game and I'm, you know, that's something that's going to sit with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that they didn't expect me to play, but didn't play the New York game. Carlos got red carded. So I had to play the next game. Uh, thank God Felipe is the way he is and Carlos is the way he is. And that worked out for me. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I played in the snow game in Minnesota. What a f- you know, great one to say you were on the field for. Came back, we played Chicago at home. I did not play. Um, came on at the end. And then Joseph went away with Venezuela and came back injured. And and that was that was kind of all she wrote because I remember Manu um, was one of Tata's staff members. He came up to me and he said, um, Joseph, if Joseph's hurt, but you're playing playing good, Tata's happy. And I was like, okay. Tata was funny. I mean, it was like, you know, you didn't really get close to him. He had people that dealt right. with, you know, and uh, <laughs> liaisons. Yeah, his uh, exactly. <laughs> and um, yeah, he said that to me. And you know, I played throughout the year. And I'm, I'm I think that what I showed probably in the beginning of the year, um, and then what was expected of Tata throughout the year. Um, it's hard to show that you can adapt so quickly kind of in the beginning and, and then all the kind of um, changes he made tactically throughout the season. I think that, that um, I changed his opinion. Have you had yeah. a chance to watch uh, Santiago Sosa yet, by the way, uh, just going kind of back to that and looking at the, your tactical role, it seems very similar. I was going to gonna say, doing. he reminds me of somebody. No, he, um, <laughs> no, he, he, I watched the beginning of the game in Costa Rica. I only maybe watched 20 minutes. And then last night I watched maybe 15 in the first half. But, but yeah, he's doing a similar thing. You know, he's in between Miles and, and Anton kind of pulling some other midfielders around, distributing from that spot. Yeah, I think that it's great. I love that. Like, good for him. Like, go have a day with that role, man, because you can really, um, it's a good one. So, um, yeah, I have seen a bit of that. Well, in that role, you became a fan favorite. I mean, you got cult status here, everything like that. When did you kind of become aware that, you know, folks were really buying into to, uh, what you were putting out? Um, I'm not sure if I really kind of took notice of the the fans as much as you know, it was important to me to kind of win my teammates respect because I'm sure coming from where they came from and me being kind of an American guy, um, their expectations were probably different. And then, you know, if you win them over and you start to build relationships with them and even like a guy like Carlos Carmona, you know, he was, he was a fairly stoic kind of character, quiet in the locker room, not so much like the others. Um, and, and in a sense we were competing um but then to kind of realize hey man like let's let's work together we can do something here and then kind of developing that relationship on the field i just felt like um that was really important to me and i always felt like man when i'm on the field i can see what it's allowing other people to do you know um could leandro play a better pass than me yeah, most of the time, probably. 
So will I allow him to do his thing, run himself into trouble sometimes, and I'll be there? Sure, I'll do that. Because Carlos kind of like the word they use, like buccaneering kind of guy. He's running around. He's getting into tackles. He's pulling himself out of position. Tata loves that. But, you know, there's got to be a counterbalance somewhere or we're just wide open. And a lot of those games in 17 were wide open. Um, but, yeah, I just kind of realized what I, what I needed to do. And, you know, back to your question, winning over the respect of my teammates was, was so important to me. That's fascinating. <clears throat> um, did you have any like favorite moments or favorite games um, from your time? I mean, I'm sure you've got some that stand out and I'm not going to let you say MLS cup because that obviously is in a separate category. Is there anything that like stands out as being a really special game for you um, for whatever reason? Yeah. I, it's funny that like, I'm, I'm sure you're expecting me to say like, Oh, the snow game or, Oh, the, the Bobby Dodd, you know, I, I think back on the moments when you kind of stopped in 17 and 18 and you looked around and you were like, we are casting a spell on these teams. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Um, we played in Portland early in the year in 17. It might've been our fourth or fifth game. I think we tied zero zero. Um, but we went there and, you know, they kind of came with their pressure a little bit and Valeri's running around and they've got, I mean, Portland in 2017, it's like, look out. I mean, they're still good now, but, you know, we're new, they're established, they're a quality club, we're new kids on the block. But we, can't, we came in and we, like, bewitched them. And we kind of were playing out of the back and it was like, oh, my goodness. I remember Miguel missed a couple of chances and it was like, God, if we had won that game. But we those kinds of moments will always stick with me because I'd never been on a team in MLS that had done that. I think that the rivalry um, between Greg Berhalter, Tata, those Columbus games as well, going to Columbus, I remember very vividly in 2018, we played there. It might've been the game Joseph broke his nose. I, I get those years confused, but we we had been switching between four and three, four and three in the back, kind of playing with teams, messing with them, not allowing them to prepare for us. And we had been playing with three in the back for a long time. So it must've been 2018. And um, then we played with four in the back that day and we threw them off. Mm -hmm. And we, I remember kind of off the tap, we had the ball for like two minutes, three minutes. And I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> like, <laughs> This is this is cool, and you know, if you ask a guy like Leandro, you'd be like, "Of course, of course, we did." You know, that's how we play. What are yeah, you talking yeah. about? But for me, you know, those are the moments. Other than like the grand winning things, and um, where it was like, this is kind of special what we're doing. You know, this is cool, um, and I, I think about about those moments a lot. I mean, I remember when we talked to Bobby, he said that it was like striking to him when he came into the team and he was like, all they're doing in training is working on buildup. He's like, this is literally all we're doing. <laughs> and it was shocking to him. Um, yeah. But I guess that that's what, you know, that's why, because you can then control games. Yeah. And, and it's hard in that position, you know, especially Bobby. Bobby's a very, I mean, defender of the year, very good with his feet as well. But you show up to training and Tata rolls you the ball. He says, go as a center back. 
and maybe screw up, make you make a good pass. And then he gives it to you again. He says, go try it again. And you're facing the same picture over and over and over and over. And at a, you get to a point where you're like, the picture's not changing. They know what to expect. Like, how am I going to do this? But it's just that repetitive thing um, that I think is difficult for um, players towards the back of the field. But, you, you know, for example, you look at the progression of miles, like he, he th- he's been getting that ball thrown to him every week in training for years now. And, and, you know, look where he's at now. Well, eventually that culture shifted pretty hard when FDB comes in. What was the, the biggest kind of change for you? Um, I think that the, the thing with Tata was he was, he was always kind of expecting us um, to win, but preparing us and coming up with kind of new ways, little tweaks tactically. Uh, it, was, it was remarkable the kind of first couple of weeks when he was talking about players in the league that I've been playing against for a decade and he knew them better than I did. Um, so his prep and his tweaks were always there. With, with Frank, it was more like, this is the way we play. Not, not that Tata didn't have that, but this is the way we play. We're going to keep doing that. And it was a lot less risk, 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 forward, vertical. Um, and it was more of a controlled kind of thing, can try and control the game, slow the tempo a bit. And I think that that was like a huge, a huge tactical um, shift for, for most guys. And I think at first it was like, you know, guys are running after the goalkeeper when they play back pass and, and then they're going, it, you know, Frank saying, no, 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 we're, we're not, you know. And so that was, that was certainly very different coming well, into 2019. And Parky said, he was like, this is nice because um, <laughs> I was running for my life under Tata. And now it's like, well, at least, you know, I'll have some more support. I, there won't be so stressful on me. Was it like, did you kind of experience, have some of those same thoughts about his tactical setup? Yeah, I, definitely. Because, you know, Frank was a center back by trade and no center back wants to feel like they're on an island. You know, Miles does. No other <laughs> yeah. center back wants to feel like they're on an island. Oh, my God, I'm exposed. I'm in a 1v1. Um, and Frank didn't want that either. And so his his setup, I think, was more geared toward um, structure all the time rather than mm. um, chaos reverting to structure, reverting to chaos, reverting to structure, which is kind of how it was um, with Tata because we worked so much on our recovery um, once like pressure didn't produce a turnover with Tata. So you want to produce the turnover. You want it to happen quickly. It's something that now everyone in soccer talks about. Um, but when you don't, then how are you kind of recreating a moment through your structure to then create a turnover? I think Frank was more revert back, slow the game down, get into a team structure, and, and then go from there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I understand what Parky's saying for sure. Well, how did that affect things in the locker room? From an outside perspective, it seems like things – maybe kind of deteriorated a little bit from uh, a locker room perspective, a cohesiveness perspective. And, you know, by the end of it, Parkey had even mentioned that he felt like the coaching staff had basically just lost their love of coaching through it all. 
it, it, it wasn't easy um, in terms of managing, you know, like we, a few questions ago, you're talking about when, when those guys came in and they had kind of that, that they always had Tata, you know, he was their touchstone. Mm -hmm. He was their cultural kind of grounding wire for them. Like, okay, we're here. We're with him. Like that, that's good. I, I can rely on that. When you pull that out, you pull that structure out, those guys kind of became um, that, that core became a little more guarded and it wasn't like, um, you know, say in the Tata team, there was a disagreement on something tactically, you know, and it usually came from those guys. Um, they would get kind of, um, uh, what the word I'm looking for is they would get backed up by Tata and Tata would come back and say, no, you do this. And they say, Oh, okay. I understand now. Um, maybe Parky was right. I get it. Thank you. With Frank, it was like, well, I'm not going to, you know, necessarily go to him. I think I know what I'm doing. I know what's worked here at Atlanta United. Like I'm going to continue doing that. I know kind of what's produced success. So there wasn't that give and take. And I think that, you know, in a sense, mistakes were made for sure by guys and decisions and, um, in terms of, you know, and you, you get a new boss, you got to find a way. You know, I've, I made the mistake in Colorado. I did it myself and it's hard to adjust. But just like I said, with these guys adjusting with, with Gabby Hinse, it's like, that's part of it for sure. You know, I'm not saying you need to back down. I'm not saying you need to um, not voice opinions or um, have like a, contrarian point of view on things but you have to um you have to work together and i think that at times that was lost and we were ultimately relying on um outstanding talent and you know darlington nagby i would i was kind of <laughs> darlington nagby helps that helps i, I kind of wonder though how often did the team have to come together to to talk these things out to talk about exactly that just we need to kind of come together and and basically get over it yeah pretty often i mean i remember speaking to to players um and making sure that it didn't go completely off the rails trying to pull them back maybe frustration bubbled up and people, um, you know, maybe the coaches didn't know how to handle it or didn't want to handle it or didn't feel they had to handle it. And it was like, hang on a second. Like, are we really going to blow this whole thing up because of this disagreement? Or are we going to like recognize, Hey guys, we're still a good team. Like this is a minor thing. And, Hey, by the way, when you're on the field, like he's not pulling your strings, you know, I think you have to take a bit of what's going on, come as a group and understand the tactics, but ultimately like you are given a bit of freedom and we do know how to play with each other. And so, um, the playoffs in 2019 are a perfect kind of example of that. Well, so that's fascinating what you just said, because I feel like the the big question, maybe the like deepest, darkest question that every all these Atlanta United fans have about the club and its history on the field was that 2019 season where I think it was the Houston game. They had an early red card and you guys ended up winning like five nothing. And it was a three at the back. I think Justin Miram, that was like the first time he was playing at, as a wing back. 
Um, and it really felt like that was a pivotal moment in in the turn that that team took that led to that success that it had winning the trophies later in the season and um, in the in the playoffs. Is that exactly like is that kind of when you what you were talking about where you said like we we realize that you actually have more freedom on the pitch than um than you were maybe giving allowing yourselves to have prior to I think and what is funny you bring up that moment because Justin and I talk about it and talked about it in the past Parky too um it, it's not all just that kind of agreement on the facts of us on the field. We got to just figure it out. I thank Albert, Albert Ellis for getting that red card. I thank Chris Penso for giving him that red card and having the <laughs> shortest fuse in the, in the league uh, behind myself. Um, you know, he carded him. We were in a bad way as a group. We were sputtering, kind of grinding our gears. And then you play Justin on the wing and it's like, Hey, Justin, like, don't have to really defend. I mean, you have to be there when we need you, but it's a lot more dangerous um, for you to be dangerous in the attack. And that's going to put teams on their heels. And then our left side won't be as um, exposed. I think that teams might try and attack there, but wait, we've got guys that can handle that. And it just, it went from there. I think that, it built and built and built, and there are still issues throughout that year. Um, and I think that those issues that remained were the barrier from us hosting MLS Cup 2019 because, I, I mean, that's one that, that I'm not happy about because I felt like some people – might have felt like okay this year's done thank goodness and it's like mm. as we're 25 minutes away from hosting mls cup again you know um but i think at the time we you know lost sight of that well i mean that seems like a pretty decent precursor for what happened in 2020 at that point you know if you're given up with 25 minutes left to go and you know, Nick DeLeon hadn't even scored from 30 yards out yet. You know, it seems like you guys maybe had a sense after that game that, that 2020 wasn't uh, going to quite be able to, to overcome everything that was wrong. And maybe people were saying, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to justify this with, by doing that, you know, maybe that was the thought process. I, I don't know, because I certainly didn't. Frank, Frank realized at the end of the year, like, oh, I think I should play Jeff, you know, like, and so for me, I was like, I think you should too. And, you know, <laughs> we're kind of, we're pulling it together at the right time, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, a lot of, a lot of moments that happened on the field, tactical frustration in games that other people, players were experiencing that I was watching at times. Maybe I didn't have that built up in me. So um, when the end of the year came and we played New England twice and beat them and we were always going to beat you guys, thank you very much. In comes Philly, like you guys aren't good enough yet. We'll beat you, thank you very much. Um, and then in comes Toronto. And how many times have Toronto kind of disrupted our plans? You know, the end of 2017, the end of 2018. Mm -hmm. 
oh, the end of 2019. And it's like, I mean, this is the mindset that, you know, I think that not everyone has where it's like, you got to just kind of get over what's happened and look at what we're in right now. Um, because, you know, at Atlanta United, I, I say about my son, um, he probably just thinks we always have parties on the field with trophies and streamers and stuff. This kid has no <laughs> idea about the real world. And it, it's true that players like you can't, there's no guarantee you're going to get back into those games for the rest of your career. Don't take that for granted because it's, it just might not happen. And when you're 45 minutes away from getting to another MLS cup, um, don't get your petty, you know what, in the way, you know, mm -hmm. because I know you're a winner and I sure as hell want to win. So let's, let's do that. Didn't happen. It was unlucky. It was, it that, I, that game still just blows my mind. What happened? It, Joseph was hurt in that game, right? I mean, think, think about the moment. Joseph plays. He's got the worst hamstring I've ever seen, but Joseph is a warrior. I mean, he has a tattoo that says like, God gives the worst battles to the, the strongest warriors, essentially. And it's like, you know, this is him. He's going to play. He couldn't move. It was like, you know, Willis Reed, you know, coming out on the field. It's <laughs> like, we just need you out there to scare them, essentially. Um, but, yeah, Michael Bradley takes the player down. I remember, like, Parky never, you know, he never advocates for Reds. And Michael, you know, I'm sure they have a relationship, but he's, like, saying to the ref, that's a red card. And I'm like, <laughs> are we going to get this? Like, I'm not even going to get in because if Parky's the one yelling about it, then he may, maybe the ref will make that call. He does it. Michael gets a yellow. Um, and then Joseph takes the penalty and, you know, you've got a hamstring, it's tough. And, you know, he has the jump thing and I've never seen something more unorthodox work every time. I mean, <laughs> talk about bewitching, like the guy threw a knuckleball every time and every, every goalkeeper whiffed. And, um, but in that moment, what was it? The 11th minute? For us to go 2-0 at home mm -hmm. against a Toronto team at the time that did not have a lot of confidence coming in here. They were not ready to win that game either. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't score that. You never blame Joseph at all for wanting to take it. Two, having the stones to take it. Um, three, and they don't red card Michael, so they're playing with 11 players. Um, and, and that's that. So can you say... Oh, it's as simple as you guys realizing you need to play together. Or is it as simple as this or that? It's like, it's not always that simple. There are many things that go into it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was all right there, man. You got to kind of take the blinders off and look around. I still have nightmares. So I keep looking back at that XG chart and it's like 0.14 to two something. I mean, in no statistical universe do you guys lose this except the one time. And that just happened to be the timeline we were on. It's unreal. It's yeah. unreal. Um, you guys move into 2020 and then things go south pretty quickly, not only in just the general sense of the world and everything like that, but things just kind of seem to deteriorate entirely, it seemed like. For you personally, you didn't necessarily have to be there, I guess. Like you could have technically retired then and no one would have thought that was insane for not wanting to play during a pandemic year. Did that ever cross your mind? 
No. No. I mean, I was the captain of the team, you know? Um, I don't, you know, I don't think that, yeah, no, I, I never, it never crossed my mind. Was that the hardest year of my career? It's up there, top two, I would say. Um, you know, the we started off the year fine, two and zero. You mm-hmm. know, we we beat Nashville. Um, we we beat Cincinnati, right? Um, and games we should win for sure but hey you're two and up like this is mls like you, that's that's six points right there and everyone you know how it's it goes things start rolling and then you know they sign frank to an extension and mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. who knows but but yeah you you take on the 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 issues of 19 that never really went away you lose Leandro, you lose Julian, you lose Darlington, you lose Parkey. Um, in the preseason, you lose Tito. Um, I'm sure I'm missing guys. Um, and then even all like locker room guys, the, the reserve guys that, you know, are the glue um, of any good team. Um, you're talking about Mikey and, and Brandon Vasquez. Anyway, I could go on and on. And and you you come into this year, and then, you know, not to trivialize it, but then you get hit with the pandemic, and it's like, what are we going to do? Are we ever going to play again? Mm-hmm. Is it is it going to be safe to play again? Um, does the, does the league have what it takes to keep us safe to play again? Um, and like. God damn it. We just signed a great CBA or we just agreed on a great CBA. And like now this, and I was on the phone all day, every day trying to figure it out. And that is draining, man. It's draining. It was hard. And, you know, I can't pretend that I'm the only person that went through this this year because we all did. But when you put it in, the soccer lens, it's like, man, that was, that was hard. And, and then you come back and train by yourself and go through the not really knowing what the next day holds in terms of scheduling. And you don't build any momentum. And we went to Orlando and I think that it just, just wasn't right, you know, as a group. And it showed and it was a challenge and philly and orlando they played great why they play great because they all wanted to be around each other and they all kind of believed in what they were doing and i think it's probably going to be pretty similar this year too you know are you all drinking the kool-aid are you all bought in are you all um ready for the challenges and we said it during the year i specifically remember saying i mean they fed us and the food was great the people that served us food were great, but it was, it was the same every single morning. And I said that these breakfast burritos are going nowhere, guys, you know, don't expect them. Don't expect it to change. This is the situation we're in, but you know, in the end, we just, we didn't have enough and Frank moves on. Um, one thing I will say for sure, 
um, about Glassie coming in is, and I might have said it to you guys before, but every new manager gets the bump, right? You know, you come in, there's a breath of fresh air, Pity's looking around going, whew, I feel good. All right, let's do mm-hmm. this. And, but wait, guys, you're in a pandemic. And for the next two weeks, you need to quarantine train and we're going to figure out when you're going to play. And that week, first week of training with Glassy, like everyone was great. Training was different. The mood was different. But we had to wait three weeks to play. And, you know, that wears off. You don't get that bounce, that bump. And then you're left with, you know, what we, what we got. Mm, that's amazing. That's amazing to hear because it's amazing to hear how much like the emotion plays into it. Not like the emotion in terms of um, what you get from fans or whatever during a game, uh, not to diminish everything that fans bring to the game and everything, but it's like, like you really have to have that inside of you to be able to give everything that it takes. I remember, I think it was in 2019. It was soon after it seemed like, I think it was right after that Houston game where you guys seemed to to me, at least like there had been a, a switch that had flipped. And I remember it was a game against LAFC and it was like a and ended like four to three mm. crazy game. Mm-hmm. And I just remember at the final whistle, like everybody on both teams just like collapsing to the ground at, you know, as soon as the game ended. And it's like, that's what you need to be a champion, to be the best team. So like you have to have that kind of passion inside of you. And it's just really hard to do in the context of what was happening last year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that LAFC game, I, I could tell you a whole, it's like me, Justin and Barky are sitting there on the bench and we're looking at each other like, really this game? We're <laughs> not, we're on the meet us three or right here. Huh? Um, Justin ended up going on. I actually think Parky went on too. Maybe Parky started, but no, it was, it, I think maybe Parky started. But I remember me and Justin looking at each other and Justin saying, these are the games that we need you and we need me. Um, Justin ended up going on for Mo, who started playing left back and did exactly what I was talking about. He became the antithesis on our left side of Carlos Vela on their right side mm. and changed the game completely. And, um, yeah, I mean, another guy, Justin Miram, not, not here in 2020. I mean, talk about value and that guy, great person, great player. Um, someone that, that you kind of love having in the locker room. Yeah. Another guy gone in 2020. Uh, I want to talk about one other guy. I know we have questions we're going to get to in, in a second here, but, uh, like I was shocked that Julian didn't come back, um, that they made the trade. I know we've already talked about you know, guys want money and clearly he was deserving of, you know, more than he was making. Um, and so I understand kind of where the club was running into an issue there, but like, I'll never forget Joseph saying that it's like Julian, he knows the way I like it, you know? And, um, and it just seemed, and I know with you, he would credit you as being like a mentor to him, um, on the field, but off the field as well, just like coming into his own as a professional. And he just, you know, and he started the first game of the uh, in the club's history. It seemed like he was so ingrained. Was, was, was it a surprise to the team when that move happened? No, because it played out before our eyes, you know, mm-hmm. Julian was coming in every day. I was trying to help him through it, advise him through it, you know, ultimately money, you know, money begins the fight. Emotions tend to end the fight. 
and you just see that kind of building up. Um, but you're, you're right. You know, that goes back to what I'm saying. Like you're sitting around, you're going, I'm doing the same job you're doing. Mm, yep. I think I'm doing a pretty damn good job. You're getting paid more than me. What gives? And it goes through every player's mind, no matter who you are. I don't care if you're the banking minimum wage. I'm sure that goes through your mind. And so, yeah, I mean, think about timing. Like they just resigned Joseph, right? And it's like, who's putting it on a dish for Joseph most of the time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who played that pass in Portland in 2019, you know, when Joseph pulled up for three, like Julian did. Um, but again, it's a cap. You, you get stuck at the cap. The league puts parameters on you know, who kind of gets this money, who kind of doesn't get this money. And, um, you know, Julian for being a quote unquote young guy wasn't as young as the lineup is now. And who knows? I, I don't know what went through their, their head, but um, in the end, you know, I think it got to the point probably where he, um, there wasn't, com- you know, any going back and, and that was that. With you being a guy from the days of $412 biweekly paychecks and being a guy who's involved in MLSPA negotiations and things like that, what is it like for you to mentor someone who you want to have on your team, but also I'm sure there's a feeling of go get yours, you know, get paid. How tough is that to to balance when you're mentoring someone like Julian in that situation? Yeah, really hard. I mean, because we know. I know what he's going through. And I, like you said, I also want you when I walk out on the field, I want you in the locker room when I walk in, I want to. And like, I also kind of know this might be the better place at the lower dollar. Maybe, you know, I don't know um, at the time, but it's hard. It's hard because like I said, money starts the fight and emotions usually end the fight. You know, you just kind of, you got to say, dude, I'm, I'm going to support you, whatever you decide, because you're a good player and it's going to work out. And I kind of, I said it to um, Chris McCann, who he wasn't on the team at the time, but, you know, Chris, also a guy who's played for different teams, different countries. You know, you have young players who have never been traded before. You have young players who have been drafted and loved and then they go through that Mm. and they grow up and they become someone else. And you say, you know what, Jules or whoever, this isn't the first time or this isn't the last time it's going to happen either. You're going to bounce again. Maybe you're going to bounce again after that. Look at Dax McCarty, you know, look at me, you know, I hate when people label soccer players journeymen. It's like, you know, Faggio played for 20 clubs, you know, like mm-hmm. you, it, it's the nature of the business. You're looking for a job you're looking for, you're looking to be valued. And, and that's that. And I think that every player probably has to go through that, that, that movement and that kind of pain and struggle because it makes you appreciate things a little more. And it also kind of grow up and you say, Maybe people on the other side of the table aren't as, um, you know, I, I got to be a little careful. I don't know. 
We had some questions from folks out there in the Atlanta United universe uh, who were excited to hear from you after not seeing you for a couple of months. Uh, first one comes from Kevin from Kirkwood, who asked what we kind of touched on this a little bit. He asked, what other teams were you considering as a free agent coming into 2017? And what was the deciding factor that locked you into Atlanta? In 2017, I was considering, I think only at the time it was Columbus. Greg Berhalter tried to get me a couple of times, um, but I think that was it. And I, I'm kind of a guy that get my, my eyes set on one thing and I'm, I'm going to go for it. And Atlanta kind of became that very quickly. Fat Till Risk. What a name. Fat Till Risk asked, biggest changes in league over your time in the league? Um, and what's also remained the most constant? Um, I, you can't argue with just the infrastructure of, of the league itself. Um, the academies, there was no academy. Um, the stadiums, there really weren't any stadiums. Uh, it was it the, at the start. You know, it was football stadiums. And so it looks different. It feels like a club. The clubs have a home. Um, it wasn't like that. You go, you play Metro Stars, you're in Giants Stadium. You know, you go and play the Wizards, you're in Arrowhead. You go and play Rapids, you're in Invesco. It's like you're just renting space. And now, you know, it's not, it's not like that at all. I think there are some clubs that are a little slightly left behind, but um, it, it's, it's grown up. One thing that hasn't changed, um, well, single entity, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it still feels very monochromatic as a league. You know, everyone's doing the same kind of things. Everyone's wearing the same shirts. Everyone's kind of a, a, a different color scheme on the same jersey. You know, like when I started, or actually my first year was when they signed the first Adidas contract. But, you know, you had the Galaxy wearing Nike before. You, the league was using Puma balls. You had Adidas teams. I'm not necessarily talking about sponsors, but there is kind of a – stifles a little of what it could be i think and that's never changed if you were a king of mls for a day what's the first like grand rule change that you're making grand sweeping gesture i guess one cap and and eliminate the barriers if you want to make money tradable go ahead and make money tradable um why are you saying this is a league of a four million dollar cap it's the worst kept secret in the world (laughs) It's a $4 million cap for certain players. There's an unlimited cap for certain players. And then there's another adjacent cap for other players. Um, put it all under one umbrella. Start taking um, that a little more serious because, you know, it's not fooling anybody. It'll, it'll change, I think, how the league is viewed as well. And I would make it bigger than it is. And you think the infrastructure is there to just go ahead and do that? Now we're getting into like a case study question. You're really kind of, um, they're spending those dollars anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. I do think so. I do think so. I think in the past when you had people running organizations that 
it's a it's a fledgling league. I understand. You know, you're not getting people from the NBA to come and run your cap and and be a general manager. I understand that. You kind of have to keep it all in house and over oversee um, what's happening. But I, th- I think the league has has moved on from there, and they're still somewhat stifled by the rules. Going through CBAs, you know, it's CB, it's management and players. But I think oftentimes when you think about management, it's really just owners and league execs. And then you have all the satellite offices, which are all the front offices. And at times there was a disconnect between those two, you know, I'm not building a cap. I don't know what the CBA is going to tell me. I'm not in on that, but I'm the person that's got to do it. And by the way, like two weeks, when is the season starting, you know, or compliance date is March 1st, you know, um, they have the people that can handle it, have, have done it. And yeah, I mean, the question, can you, can you double it? Does it have the, like, are the economics behind it? I don't know. Probably not. All the teams are generally losing money. I understand that. But um, I think that artificially putting labels on dollars is, is hurting the league. Are you going to be involved with the, the MLSPA in any capacity uh, in retirement going forward? Um. Not right now. I don't think so. Um, you know, that I'd still talk to them all the time and we'll continue to talk to the board guys that I've had a relationship with for years and, um, but not, not in like a employment capacity. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's see. Not right now. I gotcha. Um, Father Martinez goes back a little bit. He says, what was the locker room like in 2017 and 2018? Did the vets hang out with the young guys at all outside of training and games? Oh, oh, 100%. Oh, such a great locker room. And it goes back to what I was saying. You know, it's everyone kind of going from ground zero. Like, even though I was older, I was still going through the same stuff. Even though I was American, I was still going through the same stuff. It was it was so much fun. And I think that there was kind of a, a punch drunk at atmosphere to it because we were so exhausted, you know, we were working our tails off. There was a lot of pressure. Meetings were twice as long because of translation. Um, but we had a, we had a great time. A lot of good characters. I think of the day that I think it was Harry o- took over the, Snapchat or one Facebook live. I forget what it was, but we played, we were playing a game in the locker room. We were like bouncing a a Swiss ball and it got stuck up on the ledge and we brought in one of the like moving cranes to go and get it. It was just like, it was one of those days. I think it was so funny, but we had great, great characters in that locker room. And um, absolutely there was um, old guys hanging with young and American with non-American, et cetera. Is that the best locker room you've been around in your career? I'd say it's one of the best. I was I had one of the best for sure. What's the best? Or what, what, give me like a top three here. Um, either 2010 in Colorado or um, those my early New England teams for different reasons. Um, I can get into it if you want. But yeah, I, I'd put those in the top three. I love it. I love it. Uh, let's see. Kevin from Kirkwood asked, were you comfortable with being a fan favorite slash folk hero for Atlanta United? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that 
I told you this once. You were like, hey, man, are you cool? Like, I've done or said certain things. And, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, as long as it didn't go to the point, you know, where you were laughing at me. <laughs> right. <laughs> there are certainly times where I allowed myself to be laughed at for sure or opened myself up to be laughed at. But no, I I love it. You know, Larry's never a nickname anyone's ever given me before. I was so. just going to ask that. Uh, yeah, it that fit perfectly down here, you know. It was unique and is unique and um I say it all the time. I've never had someone in Atlanta come up to me and say a negative thing. It's always positive. It's always, you know, showing their love, their appreciation, their um sharing a story and I I, I love that. I will say, I mean, I was always kind of wondering, like, man, is he, he, he probably thinks I'm insane, one, <laughs> which, I mean, fair. But uh, it, it was from a place of just, uh, you know, enjoying what you did and um, people responding to that and responding to how I kind of put it in perspective. And, um, you know, if it helped build the community and you let that happen, it's, it's much appreciated, you know, and I think it, it plays a part in where this fan base kind of is now, you know? No question. I mean, we all, you guys included, fans included, um, we all got on a ride. And we were on that ride um, for years. And that was fun, you know? And it was, it was all of it put together, man. I mean, I think more than anything, it was kind of like a, is this really happening kind of thing? You know, like I'm sure from your perspective it was like that for us, we were pretty focused, but we, we felt it too, you know, driving through neighborhoods and seeing flags and license plates. And um, it's like, wow, this is, this is real. God damn it, Jeff. It's getting yeah, dusty yeah. in here. No, I know. I mean, <laughs> it, it's it, it's true. It's it, it almost feels like I think I feel like because of the pandemic, especially it feels like before times, you know, it's, it's like it just it almost feels like its own little era of our lives. When I say our, I mean, we obviously have different experiences, but we all kind of shared in the experience and in, in a way. No question about it. No question about it. And um, I think it's something that that's going to stay with people, too, for a long time. I don't think it's um, going to change because those memories are so strong. And, you know, I remember when it must have been the home Red Bull game when they had all the flags. Is that right? Um, kind of like the whole stadium TIFO. Uh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Playoff. Mm -hmm. And then yep. people were saying, you know, what – what can the team do next or what can the front office come up with next? And I was like, Oh, they can make the stadium levitate. You know, that's the only way they could top that. Yeah. And we were all just kind of levitating that time, you know, during that time, it was just like, this is something special. You know, it's, it's crazy for me to just think about how these small things kind of interconnect, you know, like if Felipe is, is never Felipe and Carlos doesn't get that red card, you don't get in. 
I probably don't end up where I am personally, you know, um, quite honestly. Oh, it, it's wild, wild to think about. Um, yeah. But it's, I mean, I can, happens. I'll, I'll share a story and I've told people this before. You talk about that. Like, you know, Parky and I met when we were like 18, 17. I was a freshman at Brown. He was a senior in high school in Rhode Island or in, I think he was in Florida at that time, but he was from Rhode Island. And guess who was his host at Brown when he came? No to watch? shit. It was me. Oh, wow. My gosh. And um, I mean, I'll tell you the story. It was like around Halloween, and he was he was a recruit. So I mean, I was under twenty one. He was under twenty one. He's not a student either, so he doesn't have a student ID. And that year, I got every recruit. You know, every recruit. And for people that aren't familiar, you know, you a player, a potential player comes into town. He comes to watch a game, take a tour of the school, stay overnight with one of the players, essentially sleep on the floor somewhere. Um, and so a lot of home weekends, that was me. I had every kid. And so later on in the year, I didn't know these were two of the top recruits. I get parking and another kid. And like I said, it was around Halloween and there was a Brown party and I knew they couldn't get in. I just knew they couldn't. And I was so kind of tired and fed up of like dealing with guys. And I didn't know who party was. And, and so I gave him and um, the other kids so the money that you're given. And I was like, go have a ball, man. I'll, I'll catch you later. <laughs> and I went to the Brown party and I got in because I had an ID. There was no way I was going to get them an ID. And um, long story short, Parky didn't come to Brown. I didn't, you know. And we show up at the beginning of preseason with the revs. And I was like, Hey man, you remember me? Like, he was like, yeah. And I was like, but you didn't want to go to Brown, right? You're from Rhode Island. Like you didn't really want to be there. Right. And he was like, no, I, I kind of was really interested in Brown. And he was like, but it worked out. Like I ended up at Wake Forest and you talk about, you know, if I had played, you wouldn't, yeah. if I had like treated yeah. Parky well, <laughs> He would have been because I was a forward going into Brown. I was a, a right winger, essentially. And <laughs> if Parky had come the first week of the last week of preseason, the first week of the season, the Brown coach said, have you ever played center back? Because a guy injured and a guy suspended. I said, no. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to play you there. And then I played four years at center back. If Parky was there. I would have never. Huh. It's a weird one. So that's that real. Closes the circle. <clears throat> oh, unreal um <laughs> i don't know how to move off of that but we do have some more questions um and, and this one is, is pretty on brand i guess kojo asked what's your favorite dad joke it's my favorite dad joke yeah that's, that's a hard shift <laughs> um i don't know it's funny i loved those every year when we did them um <laughs> so memorable with frank as well um yeah <laughs> I, I don't i don't know i i uh I've got a lot of bad jokes in the house, though. My wife <laughs> makes fun of me for it. So I think I've got more than, than I can just pick one. Love it. Love it. Uh, Teodal Football asks, top three bands and artists both right now and all time. That's a, that's a heavy one, but we got some time here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a huge Radiohead fan. I've seen them a bunch of times. I'm a huge talking heads fan they're no longer making music but i <laughs> love them as well mm. um the smiths are favorites and mm. one 
that I always listen to probably in the cars is, you know, it's Bob Dylan. So I put those as my favorites. The best Radiohead album is? Gosh, you're making it harder. Uh, <laughs> in Rainbows Today. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Uh, uh, I think it's In Rainbows. That's yeah, my take. I, to be honest, like, I I started listening to them, you know, with the Benz when was in college during Kid A, so that was like, you yeah. know, Idiotech was the jam. But then... <laughs> I think I listened to In Rainbows for like two years straight and saw them live in Massachusetts um, with my former teammates at the Rebs. And that that album's really awesome. That rules. That rules. What also rules is that we are on to rapid fire. Jeff, Tony asks, when are you going to set up your Instagram or Twitter account? <laughs> I think when I just have a job where they make me do it. <laughs> Adam asks, would you consider law school or like to continue working with the MSPA in some fashion? You know, I always told myself I was going to retire before 30 and go back to school and I just kept playing. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I'll go to law school. The PA, I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, Father Martinez asks, your favorite MLS side to beat? Hmm. We can stay with just Atlanta there while with Atlanta. We don't have to go for the entire career. Oh, well, then it's the Red Bulls for sure. (laughs) It only happened like once, though. I know. I know. (laughs) But it happened at such an important time. It It sure did. It sure did. I completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, Kevin from Kirkwood asked, I think this is a Sex in the City question. I have no Kevin, idea what this question Kevin is from Kirkwood asked, who is the Miranda of the team? I don't know if that means anything to you. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, the Miranda Laws or Miranda from... Uh, no, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think I'll, I, I'll pass on that. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Todd asked, do you have a J. Sam Jones tattoo? I'm sorry, say that one again. Do you have a Sam Jones tattoo? <laughs> no, uh, I don't. Although, you know, P- please if you don't. have a men's league game and, you know, you need me to come out and tweet a few score, then I'll get one. I'll, <laughs> you know, we can consider that. We can, we can absolutely make that happen. Uh, Palmer asks, what went through your head when you took the shot against Club America? You know, um, Darlington never shoots. And he even though he's like had goal of the year a couple of times <laughs> he never wanted to shoot and in that game i remember the ball coming out to him and he didn't shoot and then right before i shot he didn't shoot um and i was just like if i get this i am shooting and <laughs> and, I, and i got it and i shot yeah um that's it's funny because that's like the goal that, that whenever i see somebody they talk about is that the best goal you've ever scored um, I mean, that took a pretty heavy deflection. Uh, Don't tell people that. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to change how people think about it. Um, I don't know if that was the best, but certainly one of the most fun to score. I mean, that game, what a game. It's so much fun to be a part of that. A, a, you know, an atmosphere you only get here, I think, mm-hmm. um, where 
you have this heavyweight of fan support in MLS against the heavyweight champ of fan support in North America and just kind of going toe-to-toe in the stands and going toe-to-toe on the field. Um, What a game. And that was rapid fire. Joe, anything else before we let Jeff get out of here? No, other than I, Jeff, I just want to thank you for doing this because this is probably the best conversation I've ever had about Atlanta United, just kind of being able to pick your brain about this as somebody who was there. So, um, yeah, I just really, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. I mean, if you if you uh, ever want me back, I'm happy to join. And um, yeah, I think that I'm sure you're going to be talking a lot about this team, so I'll have to check out the games but if you uh want to have me back i'm always open to to chat with you guys i've I've really appreciated um you know i would say our friendship through through the years and it was it was so much fun it's sad that it's ended for me on the field but like i said in my letter so happy to have done it and and uh atlanta was was great so thank you I think what we need to do is get you and Parky on a call together. We we may do that about midway yes. through the year and yes. see what we can get together. I think that's the plan. I think it's yeah. the move. Jeff, thank you so much for your time, man. And thank you for what you've done for the city and for the team and everything like that. Uh, and we appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Absolutely. All right. All right bye, y'all.